afternoon. It's a good day. Today's sermon is titled, A Winning Strategy. A Winning Strategy. Won't you look at your neighbor and say, what kind of strategy do you have? Do you have any strategies? Is there any kind of strategy there? Everybody look like, yeah, I've got it going on. I'm the master planner. Anybody have any master plans? A winning strategy is something I believe that we can obtain if we trust God. We can make our own plans, our own desires, and try to do what we want to do. But I believe according to scripture that every time that someone would attempt to walk in their own path or their own ways that it usually ends up failing and how many can say amen to that that every time I've ever tried to plot or plan my own life or create a strategy myself it usually comes to naught because it's my plan and not God's so we're going to take our text today from uh, the book of Esther uh, Esther was the queen uh, back in the reign of her day and we're going to look at a few words here verse 13 Esther chapter 4 verse 13 and Mordecai told them to answer Esther do not think in your heart as you will escape the king's palace any more than all the other Jews you see Queen Esther had come up with this contrived this plan because the Jews uh, at the decree of Haman through the king was going to kill all the Jews in all the world and Queen Esther was a Jew but she hadn't let it be known that she was going to stay in hiding in the king's palace and her uncle was calling her out look at your neighbor and say sometimes you need to be called out <laughs> you need somebody to tell you the truth right there needs to be somebody in your life that you respect that much that they can speak to you that way without you blowing up, getting mad, walking away, amen, with anger in your heart, saying, I ain't going to listen to that fool no more. That's what most of us do. When somebody tries to correct us or calls us to understand that we're messed up in our way or our thinking, we get mad, amen. Anybody ever got mad when somebody tried to line you out? Teenagers, yeah, parents, yeah, that's, that's true, yeah, for sure. You know it happens all the time. I'll just go to my room. Go on then. So as uh, Queen Esther heard these words, for if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will raise, will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this that's my favorite verse in all of Esther uh, the Old Testament book of Esther is you never know that you may have came to the kingdom for such a time as this I've heard many messages preached over my life over this topic of how that God's timing is everything that he gives a plan and he has a, a, a place for us to be but there's a timing with God and on this side of eternity, eternity time won't matter. When we go to heaven, we're not going to be looking at the clock saying, oh no, I've got to be there tomorrow. 
or next week I'm going to plan this, or I'm going to do this or that a month down the road, or next fall I'm going to do this, or this summer I'm going to take a vacation here. We won't have to be worrying about, like last night, of going to bed at 10 o'clock and worrying, is it 11, or is it 10, or is it 9, or what time is it? I don't know what time it is. With a spring forward and a fall back, we had a really good attendance this morning at Vanceburg, and it's kind of surprising because usually during the season when it's uh, in the spring of the year when uh, daylight saving time hits, it's usually because it throws everybody off and they don't end up coming to church because they didn't set their clocks correctly. And we even had all the hoodlums out of town yesterday down in Lexington doing what they was doing. And they, you know, they still ended up getting up. Debo kept sitting on the front row this morning, sitting there bright-eyed, bushy-tailed. He said, I got up at 9 o'clock this morning. He was just tickled to death that he got up, I guess. I don't know. When you go to bed at 3 o'clock, you don't expect to get up at 9. I, I suppose. I don't know. So time won't matter there. But time means a lot here. Because everything that's created or that exists today is created by God. And he said it's good, right? So if you go back and read Genesis, you'll see that God created something, and he would say it is good. So if there's time now, it has to be good. It's a good thing to have time. It's a good thing to have these seasons. But as God gives us the plan, we shouldn't try to rush his plan. We should just live in the moment that he's got us living in now and understand in God's perfect timing, he will cause it all to come to pass. Amen? To trust in him, to have faith in him, to lean on him and trust him more than we ever have before. So as we look at this text that, that Mordecai is telling his niece that he raised, you never know. You may have come into the kingdom for such a time as this. Verse 15, Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go and gather all the Jews who are present in Sushan and fast for me. Neither eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise, and I will go to the king, which is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Who are you willing to die for? The Bible says that no greater love has many than any man than this, that he would lay down his life for his brother. Queen Esther is saying that she's willing to go against the decree of the king and go stand before him, which is illegal, which is a death sentence. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther commanded him. He gives her advice. She goes and gets this a winning strategy and she tells it back to Mordecai and he does all she commanded so sometimes when you give somebody else advice you got to be willing to take their advice amen that it takes all of us to make this thing work and as a church as a body that God has equipped us today to do the work that he's called us to do in Lewis County and the surrounding counties amen. it's up to all of us to give some input amen you might be sitting on an ideal that you're sitting back and saying, well, I don't want to say that. I don't want to put that out there. Somebody else think, think that's crazy or something. But if we're going to have a winning strategy, everybody's got to be involved. How many wants a winning strategy in your life? A strategy of success, where that God's timing, that his provision, that everything he has for you will come to pass in your life. A winning strategy. I desire that. But you see, in this scripture, and looking at Esther here, I believe we've got to understand what's going on in the world that they're living in to really get the full picture of what's going on. 
So historically speaking, if we would go back and look through the Old Testament, when God tells Abraham he's going to make him a father of many nations, and we go on a few generations, and, and then Moses comes along, and Moses sets up the tabernacle and does all the things that God commands him, and then a few years later the judges come along, and then a few years later, next thing you know, kings show up. And, and when the kings begin to happen, and King David, he, he loved God, and he ended up in Jerusalem and on this holy mountain of God, the city of Jerusalem, the Bible says it's the apple of God's eye. God loves the nation of Israel and the city of Jerusalem. And as King David, he would sing praises to God and he, he would bring in the psalmist and, and all the book of Psalms that we read are a majority, the majority part of the book of Psalms is written by King David. It's about songs and I love the praise and worship, amen? I love being in a church where we can lift hands without wrath and without doubt. That nobody's looking around and pointing, making fun. And can you believe they're raising their hands? Why do they raise their hands? Because it's a surrender thing. In war, what do you do if you're ready to give up? You raise your hands and surrender, right? If you go to the cops and they tell you to pull over, what do they tell you to do? Raise your hands. Why? Because you're surrendering. When you stand during praise and worship and you can sense the presence of God and you lift your hands, you're just saying, God, I'm done of trying. Won't you help me some? So this surrender deal, King David loves it. He, he loves the presence of God. He invites the presence of God. In the New Testament, it tells us if there's any two or three gathered in his name, that it, there he will be in the midst of them. Coming together for a church service, we are inviting the presence of God by joining here together today. The Bible says that he inhabits the praises of his people. When you get two or three gathered together in his name, then they begin to praise him. Guess what? He shows up. You can sense his presence in this place. You can know that God is near to us, that he's dear to us. So as this is happening, and King David loves this, and he wants to build a house for God, but he's a man of war. He's killed too many people, and God tells him, you can't build my house. Sure, you can get the trees ready, you can get all the equipment here, you can get all the stuff ready, you can plan, you can strategically and, and go at it and, and have everything laid out and ready for your son Solomon, but Solomon's going to build my house. And King Solomon comes along when King David dies, and Absalom and all the mess that goes on in David's house, next thing you know, Solomon's here, and he builds this magnificent temple to God in the center of Jerusalem. It's setting vacated today. If you would go to Jerusalem today, there's a big flat piece of ground on top of that where they've thrown all the rocks off. They've completely disassembled the whole Temple Mount. God loves Jerusalem. The Bible tells us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. It's the hotbed issue of the world. It has been all of my life. And most of the life of everybody you know, it's been there that Jerusalem is the hotbed issue. That they try this two-state, do you try a single state? They got all these ideals and try to strategically plan, but how many knows we gotta wait on God? It isn't for us to figure up or figure out how to fix Jerusalem. God'll do it in his timing. I trust him, don't you? So as this is happening, King Solomon builds this awesome temple and it's overladen with gold and, and all the uh, different pieces, the articles that God had told them to build is all inside. They're all overladen with gold and it's just a magnificent thing to look at. It's a wonderful place to worship. 
And the Jewish people become proud. They were, they were happy that their nation was thriving, that their people was winning battles and winning wars. And they're the nation of the world that is to be beckoned with. Nobody can tackle them. Why? Because God is for them. Scripture says if God be for us, who can be against us? We in America today think we're the king dogs because we've been blessed by God and we've won the battles and wars we've been entangled in and we think that we're all this and that, but without God we are nothing. So it happens this way, that as they begin to become haughty and high-minded about their self and who they are, that there's this prophet that comes along and it's, it's the prophet Isaiah and he, he's standing there and, and he's, he's in the temple because you can tell he said uh, that he was there and he, he looked up and he, and he talks about the angel that come and touched his mouth and he said he looked up and he said I, I saw the Lord and he was high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. He's declaring about the presence of God inhabiting the temple of God. They were proud of this temple. We should be proud of our buildings as well. I thank God that people volunteer to clean and, and, and we paint and we fix things and we put new ceiling fans last week in, in Vanceburg campus because the old ones, the lights were falling out and all this stuff. I, I love keeping up with God's house. It's right to do the right thing, to keep it a good place, a nice place. So as Isaiah is prophesying this, he loves the temple and the people of God loves the temple. The next prophet that you'll flip on over to will become Jeremiah. Jeremiah the prophet comes on the scene and he begins to prophesy about how that they are getting ready to go into exile. That God is going to take them out of Israel and exile them into a foreign land. And when they get there, they're going to be in exile for 70 years. What if I could prophesy to you today, Marky, that they will load us on planes and they will ship us to Iraq and they will force us to wear turbans and we have no option but do what they say. What if that's what's coming from God? Because when people prophesy, they aren't doing it themselves. It's God speaking to them. And if we think that we can fight against God, woe be it unto us. Scary thing to think about, to ponder, to reflect upon. You see, it's because it's we're, so, we're so casual in our way of life that we think everything's just going to remain the same, that it's just always going to be like it's always been. We've lived in safety. We've had freedom of religion. We've had freedom to, of the press. We've had freedom for all, all the freedoms the American freedom gives us, the Constitution gives us, and we think it's always going to be that way because it's what we've always known. So Jeremiah begins to process. They say, man, you're crazy. What's wrong with you? Can't you tell that temple is still up on that hill? And Jeremiah prophesied and said, there won't be one rock laid upon another. It's going to completely be disassembled. And they're going to tear down the walls of Jerusalem. And the people of Israel are like, you're crazy. Why are you talking like that? You're, what's wrong with you? You're supposed to be a prophet. You're supposed to tell us good things. It's kind of like today. The Bible tells us in the last day there's going to be people with itching ears who only want to hear what they want to hear. But where's the preachers telling you today that God can disassemble us in a second if he desires? And you better have a winning strategy. You better have something that's deeper inside of you than just coming to church on Sundays 
It better be something within you that yearns for God, that longs for God, that desires God, that if there is no house of God, that there will still be something inside of you that says, I'm worshiping God anyway. Come hell or high water, I will serve God. As this happens, Jeremiah prophesies, next thing you know, they got them in shackles. And they're leading them out of Jerusalem by the thousands. They're being issued out and they're tearing down the whole city. The city that the nation of Israel loved that God loved. Completely, completely disassembled. We think it can't happen to our America. The White House has already burnt once. If you think it can't burn again... If it wasn't for Thomas Jefferson having his own personal library, there wouldn't be a library of Congress today. Where's the prophets saying? What's getting ready to happen to us? Where's a preacher preaching today? They'll preach on TV and tell you how God wants to bless you and gives you thousands of dollars for every hundred you give them. Where's the church pastors that's standing up saying, you better be ready for what's coming? Set your house in order. Scary to think about. What kind of winning strategy do you have when all hell breaks loose? About 65 years later, after this happens, that they're taken out, they're now living in Iraq. They'd went through other battles and wars by then. In the region that the King Axtaris that we read about in this book right here that they're talking about, he is all the way from India to Afghanistan, over Iraq, Iran, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, all the way down to Ethiopia. It's like a fourth part of the earth this guy's king over. And when he picks this little queen, they master. He got mad at his last wife and banished her from the kingdom because she wouldn't come out and dance in front of his friends. Does that tell you what kind of king this is? He says, I'll tell you what, bring all the virgins in the whole empire together and put them here in front of me and I'm going to pick one. You know who he picks? Esther. A little Jewish girl that her uncle told her who knows you may be going to the kingdom for such a time as this because her people was getting ready to be demolished there would not be a Jewish religion today if it wasn't for this one single lady the only reason Jesus existed is because she made a choice to do what her uncle told her. They was getting ready to kill every Jewish person on the planet. Think about that. What would the world be like without Jesus? I'm glad he came. I'm glad he restored some things. I'm glad he had a winning strategy, ain't you? I'm glad he knows what's going on. I'm not fretting. I'm not worrying. Why? Be not dismayed. <laughs> Why? Because God is in control. There is a winning strategy. It's the, win the winning strategy is the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, God's way of doing things, and God's timing. 
So as this happens 65 years later, as they're drug out, they're sitting here, and, and there's this other young prophet comes up, and his name's Nehemiah. Nehemiah the prophet. And we've done a, a, a sermon series a few years ago when it was actually the, the, the month leading up to the time when we moved in this building for the second campus. We've done a study on Nehemiah the prophet and how that he went back and he was, he was sitting there in the, in the middle of this empire and he, he was a Jewish person and he began to long for the, for the city of Jerusalem that he had heard about and he heard about how glorious it was and how much splendor was there in the, in the former days and he began to long for his home country and he went to the king and he told the king, he said, look king, let me go back and build up my home country. Can't imagine all the Americans living over in the Middle East, total poverty, vanquished from our society. And 70 years later, somebody getting something burning on the inside of them and going to a king over in that country and saying, look, I need to get back to America and build the White House again. And that king saying, really? I destroyed that, and you want me to go back and build it? How many knows with men that sounds impossible? But with God, all things are possible, right? And the king's heart broke for Nehemiah. Nehemiah went back and began to build the walls. Other people come around, they made fun of Nehemiah and said, Nehemiah, you're a crazy man. Why are you building walls here? Why are you wanting to build this temple again? And as he begins to build the walls and, and, and solidify Jerusalem again, and he gets the walls built up, and then he goes in and goes to work on the temple and begins to lay the rocks back up on the temple, and they said, this isn't near as glorious as it used to be. Not near, nearly as shiny as it used to be. You don't have the gold you used to have, Nehemiah. Don't look as good as it used to. Can I tell you something? Anytime you start building something, there's all kinds of people around you that will try to tear down what you're trying to do. It's easy to tear something down. It's hard to build something. It takes work and determination and a winning strategy to overcome the obstacles in your life. And anytime you start to do good things, bad people will show up and the naysayers will show up. If you only knew that what happened to me and Leslie when we was in here and painting the walls here and the hell that was breaking loose in our life. If you only knew what we was trying to do. And the enemies that showed up saying, you're crazy. Why are you doing that? This is a dumb idea. Who ever heard of two churches? Won't you just build in down there where we're at? Won't you just build a big brick building down there, a big fancy, nice-looking one? Why do we have to have two junky ones when we can have a big pretty one? People said that to us. And I said it don't matter about the building. It's what's going on inside the hearts of the people in the building. I could care less about the buildings. The buildings do not matter. The people matter. That's a winning strategy. It's not about buildings. It's about God. Impacting people's lives and changing people. A radically transformed life can turn the world upside down. Nehemiah did it. When have you built something? When have you longed for something? When have you desired God and said, help me to do something, God? Then there comes along this another prophet named Daniel. He gets to prophesy about what God's going to rebuild, what God's going to restore. He sees this vision of this future in the kingdoms of Persia and 
all these other regions of the earth. And he gets this vision, this strategy from God of how God is going to do and what he's going to do in times and seasons. It's amazing to me how God can restore so many years later. But how do we feel like that we're entitled to anything more than anybody else has ever existed? How do we feel like we're so much better than Jeremiah the prophet being locked in shackles, drugged from his home region? Everybody says it can't happen. We had fought a lot of many wars. I looked up in between that church and this church because it, it came out this morning. And I didn't plan on saying it, but it just hit me about how many wars we've been through, and it's, it's basically like on a 10-year cycle for America. I looked up all ago, how many years you think we've been in without war since America's existed? We're 239 years old this year. We've been in war 222 years. We've had 17 years of peace. Only one time in America's history that where we was not in war for a five-year span, the only time that ever happened was from 1935 to 1940. There were other seasons where there might be a year we wasn't in war, or maybe sometimes in a two-year span. We've always been in war. People leading up in the early, right after the beginning of the last century, 1900, they're looking forward. Next thing you know, the Germans are fighting over in, in England, and everybody's like, we're isolationists. Let's just be America, and let's leave them alone. Let them fight their own wars. It's called isolationists. If you don't believe me, look it up. Next thing you know, a new president gets elected. He doesn't know what's going on, and we get drug into the war. It's called the Great War. It's called World War One. My great-grandpa, Manneth Gohead of Foreman, fighting in a battle on foreign soil, a place he thought he never should have been, fighting for a freedom of a country where we could have a freedom of religion. Coming straight out of that war in the 20s, everybody's like, oh, that'll never happen again. It's called the Great War, and everybody's like, we don't want to deal with that anymore. We don't want any more world wars. Let's don't do that anymore. All kinds of other things happen. We end up fighting here and skirmishing there and little fights here and there. Germany comes under Hitler's control in the early 30s. And in 1940, when he takes over and comes into Poland and Hungary and begins to take over, and we begin to sit back and say, I don't want in another world war. We don't want to fight again. Become isolationist again and sit back. My mom's dad, she's sitting on the back row. Her dad was born in 1921 after the first war. Gets called in. They take him and take him from Gallup, Ohio, and they ship him on a, on a train and take him to Cleveland, Ohio, and they teach him how to use a tank. They train him how to use a tank, a young man. 
barely 20 years old. My nephew Sky is 18 years old. You're 18, right? 17 on the cusp of being 18. Going up and learning how to drive a tank. They take him and they ship him across the country. He ends up in California. They put him on a boat and they take him to the Philippine Islands. And you know the day of December 8th, right? Of 1941. Everybody know what that day is? It's the day which will live in infamy. It's the day that the world will never forget. Here we are 60 years later, nobody even knows what it is. It's Pearl Harbor. My grandpa was asleep in his bed and planes were diving into their airfield in the Philippine Islands the next day after Pearl Harbor. There's so much lackadaisical experience in America that when they bombed Pearl Harbor, they didn't even tell the people on the Philippine Islands that it had happened. We could have fought the Japanese if we would have been awake. We still wasn't awake, even after Pearl Harbor. The Japanese land all their ships. They push them all down in the quarter of the Philippine Islands. You know what happens? They finally capture them. They fight, they fight, they fight for freedom for America. Finally, they're down in the jungles of the Philippine Islands and they come out with their hands lifted up and surrender. Their general walked off of that island on a boat and left 10,000 American soldiers to fend for themselves in a jungle. They put bayonets in their back, Ernie. And they make them walk 60 miles with no food or drink for three days called the Bataan Death March. Mom's dad was bayoneted and had a slit in his stomach where they cut him, but he kept walking. He would have never came home. Just a kid. 20 years old. Like your age. If we think it can't happen again, fooling ourselves because the same story gets told generation after generation after generation in America to say no let's just be isolationists and let's take care of ourselves it's exactly what Queen Esther was doing and her uncle called her out and said that's not a winning strategy don't try to protect yourself Humanity is on the line. As I think about that, the nation of Israel winds up coming back home for Nehemiah. He brought a whole big host of people back, but Esther and Mordecai and them stayed back. 
they stayed in Medo-Persia. They're still back in captivity. Who would ever thought that a little slave girl could end up being queen at a time when her people, her people's destiny was at stake? Tell me that God can't set up some things. He can put a slave in the White House and change the destiny of a nation. It's crazy to even think about. Because God's strategy is not our strategy. God's ways are not our ways. I can tell you this. When Mordecai told Esther, you need to not worry about yourself, fair kid. You need to start worrying about the rest of the people because you're getting ready to be annihilated. And somehow she gets this revelation. Somehow she gets this revelation to know what to do. Here's the story. We're done. Here's her story. Here's what happens. What's her revelation? What does she tell her uncle? Tell your people, Uncle Mordecai, tell all the Jewish people, I need them to fast. I need them to pray. You want a winning strategy in your life when it seems like all hell is breaking loose? I was praying that there was going to be a plane come over. This morning at this very point in the sermon, a plane flew over top of our building to Vanceburg campus. I told him, I said, just think about it. In Israel today, if they heard a plane flying over top of the roof, they're living in fear that there's getting ready to be a bomb to drop. We're sitting here in our comfortable seats, heated room, kids downstairs in safety. It's all just well and good. What's going to happen when hell breaks loose? What kind of faith are you going to have then? You better have a winning strategy. Fasting and praying should never get old in our life. And in our spirituality, if you want to remain in contact with God, fast and pray. And the third thing she did was listen to somebody older than her. And I want to tell everybody in this room right now, in a very serious note, you better start listening to people with more wisdom than you. You better find somebody that's got more experience than you've got and start asking them some questions. Because if Esther would have done what she wanted to do, Jesus would have never came. We got to have wisdom. Let's come play. A winning strategy. Seek wisdom from elders. fast and pray sounds too simple doesn't it sounds too easy you know why God don't want us involved because we'll take the credit humans are guilty of that we take credit when we think we did it 
but God. Won't you stand? Sure, we're going to celebrate 20 years next week. Sure, we're going to have a good time. Everything's just going to stay the same. Nothing's going to change between now and next week. When my papa went to bed on December the 8th, he thought he was just going to sleep through the night and wake up the morning and everything would be just the same. Not knowing that the country he was serving was already in war. It might not be here next week, Jason. It scares me to death to think about it. The what ifs. And I'm not trying to instill fear in you. I'm just trying to instill a faith in you that it'll, it'll pass through those seasons. War has came and gone. And people of faith still remain. The enemy of humanity is still looking to kill, steal, and destroy everybody he can. But it takes faith to overcome those things. Won't you bow your head, if you will, close your eyes. Nobody looking around. Your neighbor's fate. Is there anybody here that'll lift their hands and say, Pastor Ben, pray for me. I need to be closer to God. And I need to have a better winning strategy. Is there anybody here to lift your hand? That's me. I need a winning strategy. I gotta get closer to God because if what you talked about would happen, I'd be scared. I'd be scared without a church building to come to and worship. Be afraid. Put your hands down. Father, I know that you hold the keys to tomorrow. Lord, I'm not preaching panic and I'm not preaching fear. I'm preaching faith. So God, I pray today that a deep and abiding love for you would be instilled in every heart in this place that raised their hand. For those that desire a winning strategy, God, I just pray that you would begin to give them ideals and, and Lord, to help them come up with ways and strategies, Lord, for their life. That you would, you would plan their life, God, and show a picture before them, Lord, that they would know what steps to take. God, I pray for them to be able to pray harder than they've ever prayed before. Lord, I pray for them to be able to fast when you're calling them to fast. And God, I pray for them right now, Lord, for our stubbornness inside of us as humans, God, how that we refuse to listen to those older than us. And Lord, we think our ways are better and we, we don't seek out wisdom like your word tells us. God, I pray today, Lord, that you would change attitudes in this place. Lord, that people that don't never listen to anybody older than them, Lord, that you would cause them to have a renewed heart in this place today. And Lord, they'll begin to seek wisdom. And when an adult or somebody older than them would talk to them, Lord, that we wouldn't bust up and be mad but Lord we would have a soft heart that's moldable by you speak through our elders God to our church Lord bless our nation Lord draw us back to you Lord as a country we've walked away from you Lord even as the church we're sitting here asleep when you're telling us to arise and waken out of our slumber that the day of our catching away is sooner now than when it was a, a thousand years ago. And God, we're sitting here asleep. Help us to wake up, God. Bless every person in this room with a winning strategy. 
Jesus' name I pray. Amen.